0: Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there is also Running on Ice, the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. Before we get into our guest interview, let's get into some headlines. Merck released a white paper breaking down the links in the support sustainable cold chain, focusing primarily on the fresh produce industry. The aim of the white paper is to highlight the critical need for data capturing, human intervention, and collaborative decision-making to build a resilient supply chain. Along with technological advancements, the need of the hour is to build a culture of trust and collaboration that can help create more resilient, agile, and sustainable supply chains. Key topics covered the current state of cold chain logistics, creating a trusted and collaborative end-to-end cold chain ecosystem, and leveraging technology to retain the quality of cold-chain cargo. Research by the American Journal of Transportation identified the, four, the top four cold-chain growth drivers in 2023. The winner's circle is food waste mitigation, food supply outsourcing, decarbonization goals, and technology. Nearly 40% of food produced in the world is lost, with 7 to 15% spoiling during transport. Lost containers contribute to the problem. However, a more significant and preventable problem is related to the container temperature or poorly packed containers. The reefer market is expected to grow on average 5% year over year through 2025, while break bolt container demand will drop by 15%. The movement of fruits and vegetables will be the key driver in the temperature-controlled cargo market, as consumers expect off-season perishables to be readily available all year long. America cold Logistics, one of the top cold storage companies, is looking to right-size some business starting with a 90-day consultation period with staff. Most of the impacts are likely to be felt in their Lurgan, Ireland facility. Last year, management of the Lurgan business was restructured and it announced an operating partnership with the Coolina Logistics business. The company also op- opened a new major warehouse near Dublin. The Lurgan warehouse will likely no longer be in existence after this reduction in staff. Today we are joined by Andy Smith, Senior Vice President at Circle Logistics. Welcome to the show, Andy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I am very excited about today. This is something that I think is kind of underutilized in the cold chain world, and that is an efficient network that is optimized and working kind of for you, more or less. But before we get into that, why don't you give us a brief rundown on your background and kind of how you got started at Circle Logistics.
1: Sure. Uh, So I'm actually, I think this is my 10th year uh, at Circle now. Uh, My anniversary is like this week or next week. So um, it's been an incredible 10 years. I started with the company as the first person outside of our headquarters in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And and our CEO, Eric, drove up to Chicago, dropped off a laptop and a printer and a fax machine uh, back then. and, And said, good luck. See ya. And we had no phone system, no TMS, no CRM uh I was handwriting rate confirmations and tracking loads and spreadsheets and uh, it was a humble beginning but it, it's been a great journey
0: that sounds absolutely fantastic just kind of you've kind of been there since you know there was not much there to be <laughs> um so kind of in your opinion what are some of the most important factors when it comes to building a freight network and kind of how can it be mo- optimized for maximum efficiency Let's just jumping right in here
1: So, you know, there's a lot to think about, right? Every logistics company is different. And I think that if you take a step back and think about the fragmentation of this industry, um, I see sales emails all the time um, that are, you know, hi, we do Expedite, LTL, Reefer, Bulk, Truckload, High, Wide, Heavy. And it's like, okay, no one does all those things well, right? Um, And so I I think if you want to think about Building an efficient network within your own company, you have to start by thinking about doing one thing really, really, really well and then figure out efficiencies within that, right? I've tried to break the 80 20 rule almost every month in my entire career. And it it always tends to be so true in freight. Um, You know, we look at everything in a market pairs and three digit zips, right? There's 133 three-digit SIPs, and if you look at what that means by mode, I think there's something like 13,000 potential lanes or market pairs that we look at. And, you know, only 20% of those lanes actually even have any significant volume to move on them. And so to sit here and say, oh, we're good at every every mode and every market is really just insanity because we have about $8 billion in freight spend. We've taken all of our RPs put them in a database and try to find pairs. And, and this is kind of what I think our special sauce is when, when we look at our network and how we build efficiencies. We say, hey, where do our customers have the most overlap? Where can we pair the most hauls, the most halls together? How can we give our customers the same trucks on the same carriers with the same trailers as much as possible, right? Because that's how you deliver the best service the best tracking metrics. Um, and and that's how you'd get to know personally the drivers that are going to show up at your at your shippers. I remember 12 years ago, I had a customer say to me, you know, I want a driver to show up and represent our company when he's moving our freight. I want him to have a polo on that's got our logo on. I'm like, okay, well, that's never going to happen. But now that I've done this for like 10 years, I've actually had drivers ask for that. Hey, can we get a polo with the shipper's name on it? And I'm like, okay, I think we found some efficiencies in our network finally.
0: I kind of like that in a perfect world, you would have customer A be the headhull or the deadhead for uh, customer B, and you just kind of keep it in a constant circle. That would be a perfect world. Now, unfortunately, we don't live in that, but it sounds like you guys have kind of done your best to kind of smoosh them together and go, all right, well, you know, we kind of keep this in a good circle and everybody's happy.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we've spent years, uh, I've spent years of my own career trying to pair up, okay, here's customer A, they've got a load from Cleveland to Chicago five times a week. Here's customer B, they've got a load in the back hall five mm-hmm. times a week. This is awesome. I'm going to pair it up and we're going to save the customer money. We're going to make good money. It's going to be great for everybody. And then what you find out is, um, the appointment times don't match up or as soon as there's detention, the truck misses pickup and delivery. Right. And so. I almost feel like it's, it's like this, um, mythical unicorn of like finding this magical freight efficiency that exists because quite frankly, it doesn't. But I think that what you can do is take advantage of economies of scale, right? Rather than trying to pair up two customers on the same head haul and back mall. Hey, do I have? 10 customers i can build a routing guide around so if load a doesn't work out i could go to load b or sometimes c or d or e and um that way you can have a best shot of making the times and the specific requirements and those those type of things match up
0: yeah it's kind of that uh the beautiful uh, i i also like the analogy of a unicorn where it's just you know you got to Like, it's there, maybe, probably, some way. But instead, in the meantime, you just got a really cool horse and out back that you're just going to hang out with because, you know, it's keeping everything going. There's so
1: many nuances to every load that gets moved. You know, I think a lot of tech companies think that they can, like, just get a bunch of data and pair everything up, right? It just doesn't work that way. There's so many nuances to freight. What you've got to do is take great people who know freight really well and great customers it takes all three parties right it takes great people great shippers and great carriers to be able to put together a freight efficient freight network you can't do it with just technology because there's so many different moving parts yeah
0: technology kind of starts you there and then you kind of go okay well now we bring in reality and kind of make it work from there. Um, and so when you talked about going like to economies of skills, how do you kind of balance cost, speed, and especially sustainability now? As that's going to continue to become a very important component of a freight network. Kind of how do you balance all this, um, to, you know, make it happen for the customers and, um, what technology kind of takes part in this creation of a, you know, almost unicorn?
1: You know, I think it's it's a process of continuous improvement, right? Like that's like the number one easy direct answer I can give you because you can't ever say like, oh, hey, I I put these routes together. I put these drivers together. I put a drop trailer program in, hey, and we're good. We're done here. That doesn't happen in this industry, right? There's always some sort of variable that changes and it needs constant maintenance. That's why digital freight matching doesn't work. Right. Maybe on a transactional level, when rates are $4 a mile, I can go on a board and grab a load and say, Hey, this is great. But when you're talking about building an efficient freight network that provides value to the customer and, and allows a middleman like us to be able to make money on it too, right? Um, you know, we, we always kind of look at our customer relationships and say, Are there three things that we can achieve, right? Do we like our customer? Does our customer like them? I, like us? And are is it profitable? Um And rarely do you get all three of those things, right? And I think that's why it's a constant moving of parts. And so what you have to do is put the right people in the right place to say, okay, we've built a good route here, right? With the Chicago to Cleveland, for example, or hey, maybe we're even rounding them through Cincinnati and we've built a triangle of freight that's moving. And I think what you have to realize is, it requires constant maintenance. It's just like a truck. You got to bring it back in the shop. You got to bring it in for inspection and you got to say, Hey, rates have changed, right? Maybe we need to be paying this carrier more. Maybe that's why they're not servicing like it used to be. Or hey, maybe we need to be paying this carrier less and there's other options out there or we can bring in better equipment for the customer, right? Um, requirements change, needs change. And I think the, the most important thing to think about when you're building a maximum efficient network is how do we maintain this for the least amount of cost? not necessarily build it out, but how do we make sure that costs don't increase over time because we didn't maintain the network properly?
0: Right. Like if you suddenly, if someone falls, if a carrier falls off of a consistent way and then you move someone else in to take care of it and then suddenly that carrier comes back after a couple months and says, Oh, Hey, by the way, we're going to ask for a 17% rate increase. And you're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. We don't need to get hasty like that. But if that just might be the cost of increase for that carrier and without double checking back to be like, okay, well, can we put someone else in here that won't hit us with the 17% rate increase because you know, that hurts. <laughs> and um, so just kind of always revisiting and just double checking to make sure that it works. It's still running efficiently. Um, I think that's kind of one of the steps that people forget the most is that you do need to double check and work back to see that, you know, things are working correctly and they are, um, still running efficiently because a lot of times people like set it and forget it. And, you know, you got to just double check and come back to make sure that it is still, you know, profitable for you, profitable for your customer. And it's still working well for the carrier because nobody likes, nobody likes to lose money on a deal. It's
1: constant communication, right? Between the customer and the carrier. Um, you know, if you've built this perfect lane, let's use the Chicago to Cleveland example, right? Maybe the customer shipping the outbound lane has high requirements. They want perfect trailers dropped early. Drivers wearing a collared shirt with their name on it, but maybe the backhaul shipper is moving scrap and, you know, they don't want to put that in a newer trailer. They don't care if the driver shows up in a polo. Um, and I, I think that those that type of service, again, it, that's what makes freight really hard to pair up for maximum efficiency because on one hand you may have a shipper willing to pay for better equipment with better maintenance that's newer uh, it, but and maybe you're pairing up with a backhaul of a customer that doesn't care about that level of service right and so that makes the disparity in price on the head on backhaul even larger and so you're not just pairing up routes you're pairing up service levels you're pairing up maintenance you're pa- you're pairing up cost, even experience of drivers, right? Uh, there are trucking companies out there that have drivers that have never left them and they have almost no turnover and they have phenomenal service, but they command a higher price point because of it.
0: Yeah. It's kind of the that uh it's that the thing that ultimately you need to sit there and ask your customer like, okay, well are we caring about price or are we caring about service? Because that's going to mean that I send you two wildly different Carriers, because if you if you just care about moving it for the cheapest and it gets there, maybe damaged, maybe not. You don't care as long as it just gets there. Then I'm going to send you, you know, the cheapest driver that I can find. But if you care about service and you want that to, that extra touch of like this is like people that care a little bit more, well, you're going to pay a little bit more. And tracking it always comes down to you get what you pay for, no matter what.
1: A hundred percent. I think ultimately, as a service provider we have to say what niche do we want to play in and how do we want to play in it, right? Do we want to be the Walmart of the low cost of, of, of freight or do we want to be the Birkin bag of freight, right? And I, I think we use that expression around around here a lot. Hey, we're the Birkin bag of freight, right? Tell them we're going to pick it up, deliver it on time, but they're going to pay for it, but they're going to love it, right? And, and I think ultimately it's carving out that specific niche in what you do and being willing to say, No. Customers love that. right? I get sales emails all the time, Uh, 20 or 30 days, more lately, it seems, for whatever reason. I don't know if the sales people have more time, but um, I I get these sales emails every day and they say things to me like, um, oh, well, I could probably fit you my calendar on Thursday at 3 p.m. if you have time to meet with me. It kind of makes you think, like, okay, this sales guy has to fit me into his calendar to sell me something, right? Um, but it, it makes you think, right? And so I think freight networks should just be like that, right? Hey, let's see if we're a good fit together, not, hey, I've got to log in for a load board uh, like every other broker, and we're all going to do the exact same thing.
0: Exactly. It's kind of, I've long since said that, you know, the 3PL and like the uh, the broker space is now, um, it's more about those relationships and not just about, hey, I can save you 10% right off the board. It's going to be about that service that you bring, that value add and what you can do to improve that customer's business. Because if you're just going to say, I can save you 10% off the board Well, anyone can do that because that's what everybody's promising right now. you got to have that thing that sets you apart and that differentiates you.
1: Otherwise, it becomes a race to the bottom, right? It's who's going to operate on the lowest amount of margin and those who have private equity or venture capital win, (laughs) right? Uh, And everybody else makes money, loses out. And I think that's why the differentiation is key. And so it's not necessarily if you want to go and say, hey, let's build a freight efficient freight network, right? Don't start with just, hey, let's grab all of our customers and all of our volume and throw in a pile and see what we can find. But go have conversations with your customers. And, you know, generally leverage, I would say stability is incredibly important, right? We have some customers, we've moved the exact same lane or the exact same driver, or the exact same truck for seven, eight, nine years now. And we have some very large customers with a large amount of freight spend who change their network every single quarter because they found somebody else that's going to save three cents a mile on a lane, right? And so that is a customer, it's very hard to bring lane density to. But they probably didn't need the extra cost savings to begin with of finding a more f- efficient freight network. Because um, So I, I think that it's really important to, to look at your customers who has stability, who's willing to pay for service, right? And who wants that type of service? And I think from time to time, you'll find with that open communication, there'll be certain customers. um, If you look at things strategically, you can pair things up and say, hey, I'm moving inbound to this customer and outbound from the same customer that's customer routed. Let's pair these up. And having conversations like that is really how you build, efficient freight networks, but you have to get all the shippers, the receivers, the suppliers on the same page to understand what you're doing and how that's going to bring them cost savings. But to think that you could do it behind a computer screen by staring at a excel sheet filled with lanes, it's never going to happen. You've got to get out there and get on the phone and make these conversations.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's, I don't know why people are so scared to talk to their shippers because they're fine. Like they hired you for a reason. They hired you for a service. You're just performing that service that they've hired you for. Um, and so when it kind of comes, you mentioned like, you know, keeping your, setting yourself, differentiating yourself, kind of focusing on that one area that you're good at, um, kind of what do you guys do to take those steps to stay flexible and kind of stay ahead of trends, um, before, so you're not always just playing catch up. You know, that's
1: hard. It's difficult, right? I think ultimately it comes down to a good guess. Um, And we, we seem to be right most of the time. So it seems to be working. <laughs> um, But I, I think using most real-time data, I think anyone that's out there that's telling you they're predicting what's going to happen and freight is lying to you um, <laughs> in my own experience but i think you can look at leading indicators rather than lagging indicators in certain areas we have a phenomenal data department that's done some great things for us um, and it's brought some some daily some weekly some monthly analytics to our to the plate that we look at every single day that drives the decisions that we're making um one thing we started doing very recently is providing scorecards to our customers. Our customers, especially the, the sophisticated ones, they've brought scorecards to us forever, right? Um, But not many brokers or, or carriers are bringing customer scorecards saying, hey, here's what you can do to be a shipper of choice. And what we're doing is we're benchmarking things like lead time or cancellation rate the quality of the carriers that we're use, using on their freight. Um, you know, I, I was at the DAT conference uh, last October, and um, you know, it's no secret that they're out there selling to shippers now, and shippers have the visibility into knowing what market rate is. And you know, a couple of people came up to me and said, "What do you think about that? They're using our rates to show at the shippers." It's, Let's embrace it, right? Let me go out to a shipper and explain to them, "Hey, we're charging you above market rate." Because your lead time is really short. Your cancellation rates high. Your tender, your, your dwell time is high. Right. And now we can explain to them why they're getting above market rate. And some customers, we've had the exact opposite conversation. Hey, you're getting a below market rate because your lead times high. You load trucks really fast. You have drivers like to come to your facilities because you have fantastic driver facilities. Right. And so I think the more data that you can get and look at and use in the right way, right? Just because data is available to you doesn't mean that it's useful. You have to know what to do with it. Um, but those are some of the things I think that we're looking at to be able to have conversations with our customers. Can you predict anything? No. Can you look at lagging indicators and know how things went last month? Certainly. But if you know want to know what's best in the freight market, what's happening in the freight market today, Honestly, in my opinion, the, the answer to that, Mary, hasn't changed
0: in 10 years. It's Get on the phone, talk to people, and find out. <laughs> and you make a good point. You always got to just talk to the people, go straight to the source. They're working in this environment every day, and they know what's going on. So just ask the people that are doing it every day.
1: Yeah, technology helps, right? It, it helps us measure things. It helps us understand what's happening. But at the end of the day, the data doesn't always necessarily tell a story in itself. Sometimes you have to go direct to the source and say, hey, here's what we're seeing. Does this seem accurate to you? And a lot of times the answer is no or it's yes. But and then you find out the real story. And that's how I think we are able to make our best predictions and how to run our company and what decisions to make to be able to forecast, um, you know, the future of the freight market.
0: So that's your crystal ball answer is that, you know, you guys just call people and ask people, ask them what's going on.
1: It's still a relationship business. You know, as much as I think certain marketing companies will want you to think that freight tech is taking over. I don't think that it is. I think this is still a human to human business. It enabled, By technology. There's no doubt that we've gotten more efficient in certain areas. And I think in many ways, logistics has become a more desirable job. I think it's allowed people to be more strategic about their decision-making, you know, rather than go standing. I mean, I remember when I was a carrier up 13 years ago now, literally there'd be a line at the fax machine the fax or rate confirmation. Um, so things have gotten more efficient. I'm not waiting in line to send a fax or flip through, fill the toner in the fax machine, right? I think we've got a lot more efficient in certain areas. Tech has just enabled people to be able to do more, but it's certainly not replaced anything or made decisions for
0: us. No, it's definitely just sped up some of those back-end processes that you would have otherwise spent most of your time doing it. It just lets you spend more time talking to people. Um, we are running out of time, but there is a question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer. And are you prepared for it? Let's hear it. Is cereal a soup?
1: Ooh, cereal soup. Um, I never went and said, I'm, I want some soup and ended up eating cereal. So based on that, I'm going to say no.
0: That's fair. That's fair. I am also team and Sonata soup, even though it technically is something in the liquid. Um, it's just, it's not it's cereal, man. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> for those that want to find you outside the show, you know, maybe slide into those DMS about building a hot freight market or a freight, a, a hot freight network. Uh, where can they find you outside the show? Um, I'm here in
1: Orlando. I'm going to be a TIA here in our backyard soon. Very excited about that. So hopefully we can meet some people there, but you can hit me up on LinkedIn or um, email me, Slack me, uh, carrier pigeons and smoke signals tend to work sometimes too.
0: <laughs> All right. You guys heard it here first. Start training those pigeons to fly down to Circle Logistics in Orlando. Thank you so much for being on the show, Andy.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on FreightWaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No worries. Subscribe to this newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. See you on the internet.